When Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, they thought, why stop there? Why not create other exciting and unexpected combinations like rainbows and ropes or fruity and gummy or chewy and more chewy? That's why they created fun treats like Sweet Tarts Twisted Rainbow Ropes, Gummies Fruity Splits, and Chewy Fusions. When you dare to combine, it's sure to blow your mind. Sweet Tarts, dare to combine. Visit SweetTartsCandy.com to shop now. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. So we'll switch gears just a little bit and move away from the Chiefs and the Eagles and maybe focus in on the two local teams, what they could do to maybe put themselves in a little bit of a better position to be playing in, dare I say, Super Bowl 58. I know it's a stretch, but you never know what can happen in this league, right? And to help us talk about the Jets and Giants and other things, it's our good pal. He is, of course, the outstanding football insider for SNY. It's our buddy Connor Hughes. Connor, long time, no chat. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing great. First and foremost, the most important thing, what is uh, on the docket today? Super Bowl plans for you, the food that will be consumed. How do things shape up for you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going back home. Uh, my in-laws, uh, one of my uh, father-in-law's good friends, uh, they actually, like, they're actually their whole group of friends, they're friends for like 20, 30 years or so. So every Sunday uh, they rotate who hosts their version of Football Sunday and all their old friends and wives and all that stuff and kids come over and, and watch the games. Uh, and one of them, uh, uh, one of the guys in that group is hosting for the Super Bowl. So uh, my in-laws will be there. My sister-in-laws are going to be there. So my wife and I are going to go down and, uh, and watch that in South Jersey. And you bring your appetite. And, and you're like right in the heart of Eagles oh, country yeah. too, right? Uh, that will be, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, that's going uh, to be right in the heart of uh, Eagle country. Uh, absolutely. No doubt about it. All right, let's talk a little Jet football here. And our uh, friend Aaron Rodgers, he's going to begin the darkness retreat tomorrow, so we wish him well on that. Whenever the hell that thing ends, um, how, do you think will emer- how do you think things will emerge for him in his mind as to maybe what his intentions are for the upcoming season? Yeah, that's the thing, man, is that I don't think that there's anybody who really knows uh, exactly what's going through Aaron Rodgers' mind except for Aaron Rodgers, right? I mean, there was a stretch there. I think it was two years ago where uh, right around the draft, he was frustrated that he wasn't more involved in the Packers' decision-making. So the report came out from Adam Schefter that, you know, he wanted to be traded. And it was like, oh, wow, there's no way in hell that guy's going to play for Green Bay again. And then not only did he play that season for the Packers, but then he re-signed with them and he played last year for the Packers. So he really is the, the ultimate unknown. Um, so specifically when it comes to Rodgers and this thing is that everyone's waiting. Like I've talked to people over in Green Bay uh, on that staff that, that fully expect him to come back and play for the Packers again next year. Then I've talked to people uh, with the, who genuinely believe that he is going to be made available and be a player that they can target to go after and try to acquire uh, via a trade. But the big thing that, that everyone's waiting on is just the confirmation of what Aaron Rodgers wants to do. And from my understanding, uh, I've been saying this since the, uh, I got back from the Senior Bowl, is that the, the, the Packers are going to do – whatever it is that Aaron Rodgers wants to do. So if Rodgers comes out of this darkness retreat or whatever the heck he's doing and says, look, I want to remain a Packer. Uh, Let's just load back up and and make one last run before I retire. Well, they're going to run it back and they're going to keep him and he's going to be their quarterback next year and they'll figure out what to do with Jordan Love. If he comes out of this and says, look, I want a change of scenery. I think it's best if I go left and you guys go right. Well, they're going to trade him and they're probably going to trade him to whatever team Aaron Rodgers wants to go to, which would probably be either the Raiders or it would be the New York Jets. So 
Uh, right now, the, the Jets are ready to pounce if he's made available. They're ready to, to put the full pitch ahead and, and put together a package that will get it done. It's just a matter of everyone now, the Jets, the Packers, the Raiders, just waiting for Aaron Rodgers to tell them what he wants to do so that everyone can kind of move forward with their plans. The thing about the Rodgers situation, though, is how is Green Bay going to be able to circumvent that $40 million dead cap charge that they get hit with if he's traded before June 1st? Because, look, if you're going to move on from him, that's not money that you want sitting on your books. So how do you get past that part on the football calendar? Because any team that maybe wants to go get a quarterback, and in this case, Aaron, they want to move before June 1st. Yeah, yeah, I think I think any deal for Rodgers would happen uh, probably next year or next year. I'm sorry, next month. Like between February, and March is probably like end of February, combine-ish time, and then uh, you'll you'll hear that done. Now I think no trade can be officially done until you know the start of the league year, but I think you'll have something right around there because the Packers obviously are going to want to have to figure they they need to figure out what they're going to do a quarterback. The Jets need to figure out what they're going to do a quarterback. The Raiders need to figure out what they're going to do a quarterback. They can't just drag their feet over and over and over again. And Aaron Rodgers realizes that he can't. Uh, milk this one out because eventually you're going to need to know what you're going to do here. And if you're the Jets, think about it. If you put all your eggs in the Aaron Rodgers basket, then suddenly Rodgers decides he wants to stay with the Packers, you know, in April. It's like, well, what the heck are we supposed to do now? You know what I mean? So, so it'll, it'll be worked out pretty quick. But as far as the financial situation, I mean, I think Rodgers has, has been on the record. I think he said this on the Pat McAfee show uh, that he's willing to rework his contract and, and they'll move some things around, whether they convert it here, they move it there, they change that. I mean, the whole thing about the, the NFL salary cap and contracts is that they can pretty much be, be made to work uh, in whatever way that, that you know, they, they want to make it work. So I think that if, Aaron, if the Packers are going to cha- trade Aaron Rodgers to the team that he wants to be traded to, then I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be willing to, to make his contract work to help out the Packers as well so they can facilitate that deal. Talking with Connor Hughes of SNY here on 98.7 ESPN. Well, we should get a little bit more clarity, at least even sooner, as far as the Derek Carr situation is concerned, because Wednesday is that deadline to where the Raiders are going to have to either just cut him loose or work out a trade, because February 15th was always that number that they kind of hold against as far as his money becoming guaranteed for them there. He's been talking to the New Orleans Saints. They've given him permission, but... I don't know, does he end up in New Orleans? I mean, what are the likelihood, you think, of Carr deciding that, hey, maybe I want to go play for the New York Jets next year? Yeah, the, the Carr one is a, is a funky one because I know the Jets value. Like, I, I know that. I know they, they don't view him as, as the, the same tier or, or as talented as Aaron Rodgers is, but that's because Aaron Rodgers is kind of in a class of his own. But they think Aaron, uh, Derek Carr is a really good quarterback. And, and I know when I was digging around with, with some other people just on Carr, not necessarily Jets people, just other people that know Derek Carr, the one thing that was kind of relayed to me by a lot is that while they thought that the Jets would go after him, when that pursued and they started doing their research and they started doing their homework on him, they were concerned that, that it just wasn't going to work, that Derek Carr's personality, Derek Carr's mental makeup, it just wasn't necessarily going to um, mesh with mm-hmm. the New York market, mesh with the New York criticism, mesh with New York expectations. Like, that's just not necessarily – his personality, and, and that's not totally uncommon. I mean, I, I know Janet Coakley talks about this uh, all the time, my, my coworker at SNY, that when she was covering the Colts in Indianapolis, she had a conversation with Archie Manning, and he goes, you know, I had two boys, and, and one went to Indianapolis, one went to New York, and there is no way in hell that Peyton ever could have played in New York because it's just not his men- – that's not how he's mentally made up. Eli, much more suited to that kind of an environment, and, and so obviously you saw the success Eli had there and then what Peyton did. Uh, with the Colts. And I think it's similar with Derek Carr, where I don't necessarily know. And, and for, this is just from talking to people and, and the concerns that were brought up to me by a number of people, which is that 
They just don't think that Derek Carr's makeup is right for the New York market and that it could potentially be disastrous. Now, if the, the Jets and Carr were winning football games, 10, 11, 12 games, getting to the playoffs, competing uh, for a potential championship, well, everyone and their uncle is going to absolutely love Derek Carr and I think it would work. But I think there is that worry that if he came here and it went a little south or it didn't get, uh, get going you know, as early as they wanted it to get going, then maybe it could take a, uh, a negative effect there. Now, uh, where he is with the Saints taking that visit, that's a much more, that's a different kind of market. That's a different kind of situation. That seems more suited to what Derek Carr wants. And, you know, I haven't heard anything on if Carr is planning on taking a visit yet to the Jets, but I think the, the clear front runner for him is New Orleans. And if that takes place and that fixes itself out and that, that, you know, that's where that domino falls, it's a big domino because then the Jets have to go to, okay, if it's not Aaron Rodgers, where are we going from there? Is it going to be Jimmy Garoppolo? Is it going to be a Ryan Tannehill? What are they going to do there at the quarterback spot? Yeah, and I, I kind of agree with you on Carr. I've heard similar things there. And, look, I, for him, I think New Orleans makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially for a guy who struggled in the cold weather in his career, you're playing more than half your games indoors if you go to the NFC South and you go play for the Saints. So uh, maybe that's a landing spot for him. But, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you when it comes to the fit of him possibly playing in these neck of the woods here. So right now, I mean, it's February the 12th. You know, we're still almost a month away from the start of the new league year when, you know, signings and those type of things can start to happen here. If you had to handicap, you know, give me the one, two, three. What do you think the pecking order is right here of likelihood of who's going to be the Jet quarterback week one next year? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think probably one, two. Well, I think they're, I mean, I know their top guy is, is Rogers. That's who right. they want. I mean, Woody Johnson basically stepped out at the Super Bowl. It's, it's just a matter of can they get it done. And, and it was funny as I was, I was talking about this, I did another radio hit yesterday and I was speaking about it. And somebody asked me, like, you know, do you really think Aaron Rodgers could play for the Jets? And, and the more that I sit here and think about it, it's like my mind says, like, the image of Aaron Rodgers wearing a Jets jersey, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't, I don't see it. Like, I really don't see it. But then all of a sudden you kind of sit back and you're like, well, the Jets are his best chance. I mean, they've got the championship-level defense. They've got the playmakers on offense. They'll rework the offensive line, no doubt, this offseason. They've got the coach who's his BFF. I mean, they're – significantly further along and a better situation than the Raiders would be and probably just about any other situation aside from the 49ers. And it's very clear that the Packers are not going to trade him within the conference. So it's, if it's Vegas or the Jets and you remove the whole Jets stigma away from it, you kind of say like, well, the Jets are the best option for Aaron Rodgers, if not the Packers. So uh, obviously, like I said, it's so hard to get inside Aaron Rodgers' head. I don't think Aaron Rodgers even knows entirely what's going on in his head at all points in time. But if I was going to uh, handicap their their perfect world projections, I think it would be one Aaron Rodgers, two Derek Carr, uh, three Jimmy Garoppolo, and then four Ryan Tannehill. And then Derek Carr is kind of that wild card one because while the Jets might like him, he might not like the idea of playing for New York. So that's where it kind of gets a little finicky. So Carr is kind of one that's written in pencil and can very easily be erased, and then you just move the other guys up with Jimmy and Tannehill. Let's face it, Connor, if Ryan Tannehill is their quarterback week one, I think there's going to be a lot of Jet fans who are going to opt for a permanent darkness retreat. You know, if that's what they yeah, have to seriously. deal with. Oh, my goodness. And I think I don't... they know that. Like, I, I do. Yeah. So here's the thing, man, is I, I don't think that – I don't think Ryan Tannehill is a bad quarterback. I, don't, I think that in some ways Tannehill might be a better option for the Jets than Jimmy Garoppolo would be. Like, I, I think that Tannehill is a better player than Jimmy. I, I do genuinely believe that. And while both of those quarterbacks – have legitimate injury concerns and durability issues. I think Tannehill is a little more durable, and I would trust Tannehill a little bit more than I would Jimmy. Now, what I think 
the Jets are very locked in on, and this is something that Woody Johnson has always been locked in on, is that he is he understands the pulse of the fan base, like almost too much, you know, where when the fan base is screaming and yelling that they want, you know, uh, Jeff Ulbrich fired, well, he's going to basically Robert Sala saying, hey, you know, what's the deal with Jeff Ulbrich? Do you think we should make a change there? And it's like, what are you, where'd you get that from? He's like, oh, Twitter, you know what I mean? Like he's very, very plugged in to the way that the fan base ebbs and flows and the way that the fan base feels and the way that the fan base thinks. Like, so he is plugged in on that. I think that Woody Johnson is well aware that what, from a football perspective, Ryan Tannehill might be a good option for the Jets. The public scrutiny that would come from New York talking about how we're going to get a quarterback, we're a quarterback away, we're going to get a quarterback, and then to come away with that quarterback being Ryan Tannehill, I think he understands uh, that that would be a pretty – substantial uh yeah it would be a big buzz go honestly it would remind me a bit of when uh the jets hired uh adam gates and and the reasoning for it is that when you looked at the now granted yes it was a disaster it did not work when the jets hired adam gates but when they hired him and you looked at what they were getting this guy is a quarterback or a coach who took his guy to the playoffs he had a brilliant offensive line you know it had worked with quarterbacks before you could throw it in with um with, with sam Darnold and hopefully make it work but there was enough public information there on Adam Gase that when the Jets hired him, almost every single member of the fan base was like, uh, what the hell are you doing? You have to convince me why you're right. And obviously it blew up in their faces. While Ryan Tannehill theoretically from a football perspective could work with the Jets, I think the public outcry would be so substantial that it's just it's not a direction that they would go, which is why I think Jimmy's probably in front of them on that pecking order. Talking with Connor Hughes here of SNY. How about the Giants here for a second? Daniel Jones, A, do you think he's back? And B, do you think they're able to work out a multi-year deal? Or do you think that they're going to have to opt for the franchise tag with the quarterback? Yeah, so I, I think there's there's no doubt in my mind that, that Daniel Jones is going to be back with the Giants. Uh, I, I think that that's, that's pretty certain. Uh, Joe Shane pretty much told us that down at the Senior Bowl. When we spoke to him briefly on the record, he said it uh, pretty much at the baggy day. Uh, baggy day press conference. I mean, the Giants are going to bring Daniel Jones back. The, the question is what you just hit on, which is in what means are they going to bring Daniel Jones back? Now, uh, I, I know as crazy as it sounds for Giant fans to think about it, it probably actually benefits this franchise substantially more if they're able to get him back on a five-year contract. Because again, when I know, I know things are looking great and things are as optimistic as they've ever been with the Giants. You know, they won their first playoff game since 2011, Brian Dable's coach of the year. They got young players like Thibodeau. They got all this salary cap space, all that stuff. But the fact is, is that game that they played against the Eagles in the divisional round of the playoffs, it very much highlighted just how far of a gap there is between New York and Philadelphia. They need to find a way to start bridging that gap. They are not going to bridge that gap just by re-signing Daniel Jones. Like bringing Daniel Jones back doesn't magically, oh, guess what? The Giants are now closer to the Eagles than they were last year. No, they need one or two receivers. They need to fix the interior of the offensive line. They probably need another pass rusher. They need another cornerback. If Julian Love goes somewhere else in free agency, they need a safety. Can you trust McKinney after the, the mental bugaboo he had on the, the ATV last year? I mean, they, are, they need to completely rework their linebacker position. So there are a number of holes here that the Giants need to address. If they can get Daniel Jones done on a five-year contract, space out that monetary value, well, he's not going to have massive, massive cap hits in 2023, four, right. five, six, seven. They can move that money all around, right? You can give him a signing bonus here. You can give a roster bonus here. In the third year of the deal, you can restructure his base salary to give him more of a signing bonus to space out the hit, uh, cap hit. I'm sorry. That will allow the Giants and Joe Shane specifically substantially more financial cap space and financial wiggle room 
to continue to infuse this roster with talent to try to close that gap between the Giants and the Eagles, right? Like, that's what they would ideally do. The key, though, is Daniel Jones realizing that and Daniel Jones and the Giants coming to terms on a contract that, that values his number. Now, talking to, to several other executives down at the Senior Bowl, the number that I heard that was the uh, appropriate value for Daniel Jones was between 35 and $37 million a year, right? The thing is, is that that's what other teams would be willing to pay. That's what they feel is a fair number. I'm sure that's a deal that the Giants would absolutely like to get done. It's 35-37 makes Daniel Jones like the ninth between nine and 11 on highest take quarterback with AAV. It's an appropriate number for what he is as crazy as that may sound. Daniel Jones though, doesn't have to accept that just because he thinks that's what, you know, that's what they think he's worth. He can look at this and say, look, I had a career year. You guys didn't pick up my fifth year option. I think I'm, I did this with no talent. Imagine what I can do with talent. I want to be paid 40 million, 41, 42, $45 million a year. He's completely within his right to do that. If the Giants and him cannot agree to that contract, right, they can't get the numbers to work, they can't get the number right that what that they want to give Daniel Jones both what Daniel Jones would accept, well, then the Giants are going to slap him with the franchise tag. The downside of slapping him with the franchise tag, as you know, Dan, that's $33 million. It comes mm-hmm. directly off the salary cap this year, which means that all that extra financial wiggle room that the Giants could have to go get Daniel Jones, a true number one receiver, maybe get him another pass-catching tight end, fix up the offensive line, address that defense that's going to keep uh, keep games to one score possessions even when the offense isn't really humming well the millions are not going to be there so right now the giants have 45 million in salary cap space right that's their imagine you take i think it's like three or four million off uh, of cap it numbers which is what they would have to pay their draft class of 40 million dollars hypothetically you lose 33 million of that to a franchise tag quarterback suddenly you don't have the means to re-sign Saquon Barkley to get the receiver. You can't fortify that roster. So I think this is going to be a situation where Joe Shane's going to have to sit Daniel Jones down and say, look, if you want X, Y, and Z to help you and, and accomplish more and really help you reach it, we're going to have to do this number at this year's because that's how I can surround you with talent. I'm not going to be able to do it if you can't agree to it. And if you can't agree to it, we're going to franchise tag you, which means we're not going to have the money to do it. But uh, either way, Daniel Jones is going to be back with the Giants. The key right now is making sure that's on a five-year deal and not that franchise tag. And I agree with you. And the other, and the Giants are going to come at this thing too, Connor, from a, from an approach of in the art of negotiation of they're going to probably say to try to save a couple of bucks. Hey. A lot of your success this year, we think, might have been tailored to having Brian Dayball and him getting the best yeah. out of you. So maybe like thinking, okay, maybe it's not the player, it's the player plus the head coach, which maybe brings his value down slightly. And I think we're going to learn a lot more about Joe Shane because the indications we get is that he is a hardline negotiator and he's going to do and make difficult decisions, which maybe aren't the most popular ones because we really didn't get to know much about him last year. Giants had no flexibility. Yeah. He wasn't very active. This offseason, I think we're going to start to learn about Joe Shane, the general manager, as a guy running the franchise. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know necessarily if he's going to be like, you know, like, like to this way, I don't think he's going to be like, look, clearly we're off. We're, we're so far off right here. Uh, Daniel, you just go and free agency. We're done. They're still going to franchise tag him. But what I'd be fascinating to see is that if, if the Giants can get a, a, a long-term contract done with Daniel Jones, you're not committing yourself to Daniel Jones. Like, you, you are committing yourself to him. And what you're saying is that not only is he our quarterback, but now we're going to start signing people and getting people to build the roster around Daniel Jones. And building the roster around your quarterback doesn't just mean like, oh, we're going to get him a receiver. We're going to get him an offensive lineman. No, you go and you sign receivers and you commit significant, significant resources to a receiver who runs the routes that Daniel Jones likes to throw. 
you get offensive linemen that block the way that's going to set the pocket up where Daniel Jones is comfortable in that type of pocket. A tight end that's going to run a certain kind of route. Same thing with running backs. You're going to put pieces around Daniel Jones that are not just good football players, but do the specific things that Daniel Jones likes to do. So if the Giants are signing into a five-year deal, they're going to now fully commit to him as their quarterback. If they have to franchise tag him, that's just a one-year contract. And depending how far off these guys are, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Joe Shane go out there and then all of a sudden they're thinking about drafting a quarterback in the first round, drafting a quarterback in the second round, drafting a quarterback in the third round, because now you're not nearly as committed to Daniel Jones on the tag as you are a long-term contract extension. Because if you're that far off on day one on this offseason, there's no telling if you're going to bridge that gap or be able to bridge that gap next offseason. And the Giants obviously wouldn't, wouldn't, I don't think, would want to franchise tag Jones back-to-back years. No, they don't want to play, get into that Kirk Cousins game, which is dangerous for you. We saw how that Correct. worked out there for Washington. Connor, uh, thanks for a couple of minutes. Before I let you go, what do you think happens uh, later on today? Yeah, I'm back and forth on it, man, uh, because I think the Eagles are the better team at just about every single position but quarterback. So it's just a matter of can Patrick Mahomes and his brilliance make up that gap, that the, uh, make up the, the talent gap and the advantage gap that the Eagles clearly have. And uh, I think if both teams bring their A game, I, I think that the Eagles win it. The key is going to be if that Chiefs defense can have a fourth down stop early on and flip a possession, uh, steal a possession or two with a turnover. I think that'll be the big way. But, you know, the Eagles really haven't played mistake football in a while. You know, they're not a team that generally shoots themselves with the foot. They're very well coached. They're very disciplined. They're very fundamental. And so I think that's going to that's gonna prove to be a uh, pretty big deciding factor today. And I'll, I'll take the Eagles. Well, let's hope it's a good one. That's what, we, uh, that's what we could all want here for the last big one of the season. Thanks for a couple of minutes, buddy. Enjoy the party down there in South Jersey, and we'll talk again real soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you, too. All right, there's Connor Hughes of SNY talking a little football here with the locals. And, you know, we're going to start to get some decisions here in the next couple of weeks. As I said, the Derek Carr stuff is going to come to a head here over the next few days, one way or the other, here with the Raiders, whether he's going to be traded, whether he's going to be cut loose. We shall see. Maybe at least one domino that could fall here for the quarterback waters here in the offseason. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. When we come back, the hosts of this very fine radio station, which I'm a part of. We set ourselves up for a major, major disaster, potentially. We suck. I'll tell you what I mean by that when we return. Dan Grasso till 2 on this Super Bowl Sunday right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. The last thing you want to hear when you need your auto insurance most is... Thank you for calling. Please listen to your list of 46 possible service options. Which is why when you choose USAA Auto Insurance, you'll get great service that is easy and reliable. 24-7 online service for claims, access to roadside assistance, and more. All at the touch of a button. Start getting the service you deserve. Get a quote today. Ability to receive a quote depends on membership eligibility. Membership eligibility and product restrictions apply and are subject to change. USAA means United Services Automobile Association and its affiliates, San Antonio, Texas. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. Miles had a tough one yesterday in Montreal, losing in overtime. How about the Rangers last night? My, you know, that is a good win. 
And I know that the season isn't over yet, and, you know, there have been a few here and there, but I think right now if you're a Ranger fan and you're compiling a list right now in the first, what, 50-plus games, last night was their 53rd game of the season. Last night has to be, I think, one of the top three, four victories of the year, hands down. You know, you go into Carolina, first-place team playing real good hockey, You fall behind 2-1, and then you explode out of the gates. Remember, the Rangers didn't – if you watch the game, Rangers really didn't play all that well in the second period. Second period, they were skating slow. They looked like they were a step behind, you know, playing the tail end of a back-to-back, having to travel. Remember, Carolina hadn't played in 10 days. This was their first game coming off the bye week and the all-star break, so they were the fresher team. And when they fell behind 2-1, you're thinking, oh, here we go. You know, the Canes are going to cruise to a victory. And then – Artemi Panarin is just shot out of a cannon, a four-goal performance. You know, I thought that Halak played really well, especially in that first period, keeping them in the game. That is a good victory for this team. And now they get to sit on it for a few days before they go out west there and have the Western Canada road trip with Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary. But that's that's a good win for the Rangers. And, you know, the, the Tarasenko didn't do much last night, even though he had the goal in his debut on Friday. But I, I don't think Chris Drury's done either. Before the deadline, I think that there's another move or two that he could possibly uh, still have up his sleeves here, and we'll see. Rangers, it's going to be a fun spring around here, really and truly is, because, you know, Knicks have the looks of a playoff team, Rangers too, and the Knicks got themselves a win last night over Utah, Josh Hart the debut, and Josh Hart gave you a Josh Hart performance, that's what you expect, you know, 20 plus minutes off the bench, he did a little bit of everything, you got you got kind of the Josh Hart experience last night, and whether or not, you know, he, Tom Thibodeau is going to ask for more from him and, um, you know, play him some heavier minutes once he gets a little bit more familiarity with the team. We shall see. But that was a game I felt the Knicks needed last night. You know, coming off of that one in Philadelphia Friday where, you know, they were kind of in control for three quarters and then kind of just ran out of gas there in the fourth. That was a big one on their home court, beating a Utah team who also had played the night before. So you feel good about that Nick victory. And, you know, as far as the Nets are concerned, we'll get to the Nets in just a little bit here. Um, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, what can you say? You know, he had the ball in his hand for a tenth of a second too long, and that's why that game tire uh, did not count at the end of uh, regulation there, and they lose by three points. So what I was saying there before uh, I, we went to break about how we, the hosts on this radio station, maybe have gotten ourselves into a little bit of trouble here. So for, as a station, we all answered some questions about the Super Bowl. You know, what, what's our favorite food to eat or what are we going to eat? You know, Super Bowl memories. And lastly, you know, what's your prediction for the game? What, are you gonna, what do you think is going to happen in the game? I gave my prediction. And then they posted the graphic today on Twitter. And it's a clean sweep. Now, I, for one, was not expecting this. Like, I, don't, I didn't necessarily, like, pick the brains of all the other hosts. Like, I don't know what they thought or what they were thinking. I, really, I, I don't even think I talked to anybody about it as to what they think about the game. But everybody is picking the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl today. Kay, Don, F? Peter, Rick, Dave, Bart, Allen, me, Larry, Gordon, everybody, 10 for 10, Kansas City. So one of two things are going to happen here today. We're going to look like geniuses at about 10 o'clock tonight. And, I, and if that's the gift, Kansas City wins this game tonight. I want every, you know, sports website, this, that. I want this flaunted all across the Internet. I want it to go viral. Now, unfortunately, 
if Philadelphia wins the game today, that is indeed what is going to go happen. And chances are that's probably the likelier scenario of this to go viral. This is going to be the, the freezing cold takes or the old takes exposed or whatever the heck it is. We are going to have 98.7 ESPN, the brain trust. We're all going to be exposed as frauds if the Eagles win this game today. Like flush it. And then we will flush it. And then we're going to have to have selective amnesia and just completely forget about the fact that, oh, I picked Kansas City. No, it's right there, right there in black and white for all the world to see. Let's hope that doesn't happen, but we'll find out. Uh, let's go to the phones. Ira in Staten Island is up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Ira, good afternoon, my friend. How are you? Hey, good afternoon, Dan. And let's hope, uh, let's hope in the next uh, couple of years uh, you and uh, Greg will be doing a pregame Jets Super Bowl <laughs> show, hopefully. It's been <laughs> hey, long overdue. That's hey, Ira, you know something? Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the expression, you know, walk before you can run. Forget about the Super Bowl. I'll take a wild card playoff game. How's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I, I guess I said that because of what's at stake and what everybody's been talking about. But, uh, before we get to that Jet stuff, um, yeah, you know what? I, I have to go along with you. I think the Chiefs. But I think if the Eagles keep the game in the in the mid to low twenties, I think they win. And I think if the game goes over thirty, the Chiefs win. Um, I know the Eagles have the more complete roster, but you're going against Patrick Mahomes. And you know, as for the Jets stuff, you know, we've been talking for weeks. It's gone into a frenzy now. And listen, you know, I, who knows what Rodgers is going to decide to do? I mean, maybe even the Packers decide to tear up his contract, redo it, and you know, make another run at it for a year or two. Who knows? No, nobody knows. But it, but at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know. You know, call me nuts. I just got a bad feel about it. It has nothing to do about his ability. It has nothing to do that he's probably still a top five quarterback. It's just, I I mean, beyond, I know you work for the Jets. You work, mm. you know, you're affiliated with the organization. I just, I have a hard time believing that unless you win a Super Bowl in the next two years with this guy, then this thing is a complete failure. Well, let me Tell ask me, you a question. Explain to me I'm wrong. Let me ask you a question, because obviously you go back for decades and decades and decades here. How much of the reservation you have about Aaron Rodgers is tied to the fact that we've already seen the Brett Favre experience here? Part of me feels that way, but honestly, that 018, that, that 018 with Favre, yeah, was a far superior team than the team that the Jets have right now. I mean, look at the offensive line they had. Look at the receiver. I mean, well, the receiver. Okay, I, that's, I no, agree. I'm wrong about that. No, you had you had your running backs. You had Thomas Jones, and I don't know what Hall's going to be. The defense defense was at least maybe not statistically, but it was just as good. And there's still it was the best running game the and the team. best offensive line I think in the NFL that year. That's right. And they yeah. knocked off the Pats and the Titans in a matter of five days. And the mm -hmm. Titans were unbeaten at the time. I just, I don't think the Jets have yet reached that caliber of a team yet. They might get there and they may even be better than that 08 team. And maybe Rodgers is the guy to put them over the hurdle. It just, I just don't see it roster wise where this team is winning a Super Bowl. And I, I, I really don't want to be negative about it. I just be trying to be a football fan realistically. I just think. They're close, but I don't think Rodgers makes a difference to them getting to a Super Bowl. Well, you know, Ira, I'll say this, he, he, and, and beggars can't be choosers, but if I were the Jets or if I were any team right now, 
maybe aside from the Green Bay Packers because this is, you know, his home and this is his team. But if I was a team not named Green Bay and I was thinking about bringing in Aaron Rodgers, I would want, and I don't know if you would be able to get this from him, I would want at least a two-year guarantee. You know, I don't want to make this a one-and-done thing so you don't play the same game like you did with Favre and then he walks out at the end of the year. I would want at least two years from this guy. Now, if you look at last year with Aaron Rodgers, he was playing with a broken thumb. He was breaking in all new wide receivers. His offensive line had guys in and out of the lineup, right? Now, that being said, it was an okay year. Maybe not okay for Aaron Rodgers' standards because we're talking about a four-time MVP, but it was still a year that if a Jet quarterback had the season that Aaron Rodgers did last year, I think the Jets go to the playoffs. And I think that it would still be considered far superior to anything that the Jets got at the quarterback position. So you run that risk, Ira, but also you could look at it optimistically and saying, if Rodgers is healthy, if they shore up the offensive line, you know that you got a stable of playmakers there at the skill positions. If you hope for the best... This could be a pretty prolific offense, and then you're talking for sure about a playoff team next year, and maybe even more than that. Who knows? Oh, I, I totally agree with you. I think the thing in the back of my mind that just keeps me holding back on this guy is what you said, the one- to two-year commitment. And, and that's the thing I don't trust. I, I, just, I, don't, I just can't trust the man. I, that, I never met him, but that's just how I feel. I think a lot of people fall into that boat right now, Ira. And I thank you for the phone call. Enjoy the game today and uh, talk to you soon. Um, hey, he's tight with the offensive coordinator. You know, if you're a Jet fan, you're still thinking about, you know, how is Aaron Rodgers going to fit? You know, what's the likelihood? He likes the offensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator likes him. But it takes more than just that to be able to work this whole thing out and to come to some sort of an agreement. you got to come to an agreement with Green Bay, number one. And then number two, you got to make sure that this is where Aaron Rodgers wants to be. Remember, when Brett Favre got the hell out of here and he faked his retirement or whatever the hell he did, he wanted to go to Minnesota. You know, the Jets was like a one-year stopover thing so he could go to Minnesota because Green Bay was not going to send him within the division of the Vikings. So he realized, if I want to get to Minnie, I'm going to have to have a one-year stopover with the Jets. He, you know, said he was retiring at the end of the year. So then he could pick his own path, and then he ends up in Minnesota in 09, and he has an awesome season. He was like the runner-up in the MVP award that year, if I'm not mistaken. Like, he was, like, really, really, really good. And the Vikings were on the doorstep of going to the Super Bowl until he threw a dumb interception in the NFC Championship game against the Saints. You know, so... I still think there's good football for Aaron Rodgers, whether it's here, whether it's in Green Bay, whether it's with the Raiders, whether it's someplace. And, hey, if it's the Raiders, the Jets are going to see him again next year because the Jets go out to Vegas and play the Raiders next year. All right, 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. When we come back, I want to shift gears a little bit and get into the basketball because Sixers were in Brooklyn last night. James Harden was in Brooklyn last night. Remember, former member of the Big Three for the Brooklyn Nets? And he had some interesting things to say about his recollection of his time with the franchise. See if you agree or disagree. Dan Gross' show till 2 on Super Bowl Sunday right here at 98.7 ESPN. We're all going to be exposed as frauds. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN on this Super Bowl Sunday. We'll take it right up until 2 o'clock. Then it's our pal Ty Butler who will carry a closer and closer to kickoff. So Brooklyn 
Lost the heartbreaker last night at Philadelphia. Give him credit. They battled hard. Spencer didn't what he thought, tied the game and send it to overtime, except replay reviews show that he had the ball in his hand a fraction of a second too long, and therefore the basket didn't count, and Philadelphia gets out of dodge with the three-point victory. But it was what happened after the game is what raised some eyebrows here. And it involved James Harden. Now, James Harden was a guy who got the first life raft off the Titanic, basically, known as the Brooklyn Nets, right? He got out of here last year, requested a trade. And at the time, you know, people were killing James Harden pretty good, and rightfully so, because I don't think that he's absent of any criticism for the part that he played in this disaster of a teardown, which has been the Brooklyn Nets. But last night, James Harden, and, and, you know, people tend to do this. They tend to rewrite history. And athletes are no different than anybody else. And really what's kind of surprising is that not a lot of time has passed. I mean, we're only talking about a year later. It's not like, you know, James Harden played for the Nets, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and he's trying to put his own personal spin on history. But he still tried to maybe portray it that way last night in trying to unpack what went down with the franchise, what went down between he and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and the front office, and why things just never worked out. So here was James Harden in the locker room last night with his own personal recollection of the Brooklyn experience. Take a listen to this. Could you have imagined uh, by the time you came back, Kyrie and Kevin would be gone? Yeah. Really? I mean, I didn't just, I didn't just actually leave for, you know, for no reason. You know what I mean? Like, I was, I was in a really good place in Houston. Obviously, we didn't have a chance to win a championship, but I was comfortable. You know what I mean? So, for me to up and leave my family, and, you know what I mean? All the things that I created there to come to, to Brooklyn for, what, a year and a half to try to, to get up and leave, it was for a real, real reason. You know what I mean? So, um, but I'm happy for the organization and what they, what they, what they've got back. They got some, some really good pieces. James, how would you sum up now that Kevin and Kyrie are gone? You left obviously last year. Y'all's time together. Uh, frustrating. You know what I mean? It's a lot of what ifs. You know what I mean? I think when you play less than 20 games together, you know what I mean? So, a little bit frustrating, you know what I mean? But it is what it is. Uh, hopefully, everybody's in a good place now and we can move on. There's a lot of dysfunction, um, clearly, you know what I mean? Like, but there was a lot of internal things that I'm not, for me, I'm not going to never just say or put in the media or do anything. And that was one of the reasons why, you know what I mean, I chose to make my decision. But uh, now, fast forward to date, I don't look like the crazy guy. You know what I mean? I don't look like the guy that, or the quitter or whatever, you know what I mean, the, the uh, media want to call me. Like, I knew what was going on, and I just decided to, hey, I'm not, I'm not built for this. Like, I don't want to deal with that. You know what I mean? I want to play basketball and have fun and enjoy doing it. And, um, and fast forward to today, you know, they got a whole new roster. Thanks for watching ES. So there, there's James Harden. Um, and a couple of things that he said stand out to you there. And I think that the money lines there, number one, he said there was just a lot of dysfunction. And now I don't look like the crazy one. And I'm not cut out for this. Okay, let's unpack those there for starters. 
First of all, the last one kind of hits home with for me a little bit, and, and it kind of almost ties into what we were saying yesterday about Kevin Durant. Like, I'm not cut out for this. What, what do you mean you're not cut out for this? What, because it's not an idea your, – your workplace environment is not an ideal scenario, a job that's paying you tens of millions of dollars a year in sports. You're playing a kid's game is not the ideal environment. Well, what's the ideal environment? Is there any mistreatment that's going on behind the scenes? You say dysfunction, but is there mistreatment? Like something to where you have to, like, report it to the Players Association, report it to the NBA, report it to the local authorities, God forbid. You know, what's dysfunction and what's not an ideal scenario? If it's not an ideal scenario that you don't like your coach, you don't like maybe some of the people that work in the organization, you don't like some of your teammates, maybe you don't think that the blend of the camaraderie of the players on the team is going to pay dividends and to help win you a championship or to help you be successful, which things are they? Because once upon a time, there was this thought that the great athletes especially, you know, the really, really gifted players, and I put Kevin Durant in that category, and to a certain extent you put James Harden in that category, even though I think they're cut from a different cloth. But the difference is, is I'm not cut out for this. So the solution is, is that you get traded and you ask to be traded to someplace else instead of just, oh, I don't know, relying on your abilities as an all-star, as supposedly one of the greatest players of all time, and trying to maybe right the ship yourself. And I think we get way too much of that this day and age, and that's what drives me crazy. Like, we talked about it yesterday with Durant. Like, Kevin Durant always wants to keep going to teams that have already laid a foundation that he could just waltz on into and pick up right where they left off and maybe try to win a championship. He did that going to Golden State, and now when he wanted to leave Brooklyn, he wanted to only go to the Phoenix Suns, not a team like, let's say, Indiana or a team like Charlotte, which maybe has some work to do that a player of his abilities and his talents can maybe help vault them to a championship level. No, I'm going to already go to Phoenix because you got three all-stars there already. They already made it to the finals a couple of years ago. You know, not too much heavy lifting for me. And so James Harden decided, you know what? Brooklyn's not going to win a championship with this mix. This don't work for me. I want to get out of here. See, Right place, right time. James Harden making these comments now, like he thinks he can get away with saying the things he said last night about, you know, throwing daggers at the nets. A lot of dysfunction. Now I don't look like the crazy one because the Kyrie thing blew up in their face and the Kevin Durant thing blew up in their face. And even though the James Harden trade was kind of the beginning of the end for this so-called super team, he does come out looking better than KD and Kyrie, at least short term right now. But the thing where the selective amnesia part kind of kicks in, for somebody like James Harden, like, you're not a saint yourself, dude, right? Let's not forget, this is a guy who whined and sulked and ate his way out of Houston before he came to the Nets. So we're going to give him a pass for that? Or that doesn't – does James think that doesn't apply because it didn't happen with Brooklyn? This happened in Houston. So everything that happened in his NBA career before he got to the Brooklyn Nets does not get factored into this. Like James Harden is sitting here talking about like he's a guy who's been like the ultimate saint, the ultimate team player like in his entire NBA career. All about team, 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 team. Never a problem, never an issue. I I mean, come on, bro. Because what he did down in Houston was despicable. Like, dude, you, 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 you mailed it in for a franchise that bent over backwards for you for as long as you were there. 
You were the face of the franchise. They brought in, you know, they brought in Russell Westbrook to try to help you win. They brought in Chris Paul to help you. None of that had worked. And you took the easy way out. You said, you know what, get me out of here because I, I, I'm done. It's not going to work for me in Houston. And how about the stories that we heard when he was with the Brooklyn Nets? You know, the private jets and the going clubbing on the road away from the team, not with the team. See, that's what's funny about this. Like, they want you to almost forget about all the other stuff and just boil it down to James Harden essentially standing there last night in the locker room trying to tell people, my name is not Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, so look at me differently. It's not my fault. And I got out of here first. And, yeah, the Nets were a mess, and the Nets were a disaster. And just because I asked out of here first, that's okay. And think about it. James Harden wanted to go. It's not like James Harden was like, get me out of here. No, he wanted to go to Philadelphia where his Messiah, Daryl Morey, was. The same guy who placated him all those years down in Houston when he was a member with the Rockets. James Harden knows there's one guy in the NBA who's going to put up with his garbage, and that's Daryl Morey. And that's why he wanted to go to Philadelphia specifically. And oh, by the way, let's not forget, James Harden, the one time he was here for the playoff run of the so-called Big Three, he also contributed to them not fulfilling expectations because he couldn't stay healthy during that playoff push. Am I right or am I wrong? He was out of shape. He couldn't stay healthy. And because of that, maybe this big three never fulfilled all of the expectations. So I appreciate the approach that James Harden takes. I really and truly do. You know, the fact that he's going to try to pull a fast one on everybody and make people completely forget about the fact that, you know, some of the blame falls on his shoulders too. And he hasn't exactly been like the ultimate teammate throughout his NBA career as well. But it is what it is. And now the Nets don't have to worry about any of those guys, but I I thought that was comical. And a lot of people are sitting there trying to, you know, vault a guy like Harden last night with, with what he's saying just because he's not Kyrie and he's not Kevin Durant. And he wasn't part of the carnage of the last week up in Brooklyn. No, but he has a hand and a role to play in this, no doubt. Don't forget about that. All right, one more hour still to play with. We'll get back to the Super Bowl at 800-919-3776. 60 more minutes to play with. We're taking it right up until 2 o'clock. Dan Grasso show on this Super Sunday on 98.7 ESPN.